just in case. We're busting ours. Pick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody from the Mass and Newsroom. I'm Bobby Blanco. Alongside me now, as always, is Amy Jennings. Uh, we've got a full episode for you today. I'm going to talk to Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post later on the podcast. He's been traveling with the Nationals in their first official road trip. So we're going to see what it's like on the road in uh, this bizarre season. We're also going to recap the oh, the weekend that was in Baltimore. No, it wasn't actually in, it was it was in, in DC. It was in DC because it, it was the tarp, right? Yes. Uh, against the <laughs> Orioles and um, recap the last two nights in New York. But Amy, first and foremost, I think we had to talk about some heartbreaking news that came down yesterday that affect both you and I as Maryland alum, and that is the Big Ten canceling fall sports. I really didn't know where we were going with that, and I was like, <laughs> I what wanted to surprise did you. I miss? <laughs> no, oh, I wanted to no. surprise you. Um, yes. But it was kind of heartbreaking. I mean, I, I get it. I totally get it. Um, it's it's going to be so tough. I, I just think it's going to be crazy to see all these different conferences go their own way. Like, I, I, I think the Big 12 is just going to be like, well, we don't care. We're going to play football. And it's, the SEC is going to follow. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, if the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 all play and make it through the season, and, you know, of course, sparing any tragedies and big outbreaks of COVID, like – then, the, you know, other conferences are going to look kind of dumb. Yeah. But then, let's say they don't get through the season, then, you know, the Big Ten comes out looking like the genius of it all. So I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, someone's going to be right, someone's going to be wrong. And then it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Of course, we want everyone to stay healthy and right. safe first and foremost. But if they somehow pull it off, I think also it's funny, too, that the only way the Big 12, mainly Oklahoma, is going to win the national championship is if the SEC and Big Ten don't play. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, don't play a season, so this they don't have to play anybody in the Maybe this will be their year. <laughs> but I also think, like, it's funny that, like, like there's, like, rumors that, like, okay, so Nebraska is just going to go ahead and play, and they're just going to find right. other teams to play. And they, I don't understand. Like, now Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State, they're all going to just try to play their own schedules. And not to mention, there are other sports that aren't being played as well, like, Think fall, like, fall sports. Right. Soccer. At Maryland, soccer is That's what we have in the fall. Yeah. You know, when Maryland football has been bad, we we have soccer, right? And Maryland football hasn't been good since, I think, I was a freshman yeah. uh, with Kenny O'Brien. But, like, yeah, I mean, like, at Maryland, it's like you go to the soccer game on Friday night, and then you wake up early for the noon game because we're terrible, and we always play at noon, but you wake up for the noon football game exactly. the next morning. And there's just going to be – well, I mean, to me also, it's like – well, what's the point of being on campus if for these athletes if they're not going to play? Well, and that that's the thing is a lot of them have gone home. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the football team has gone home now, and it's almost like, well, maybe they'd be safer on campus, you know, when they're getting tested so frequently than now they're at home. So. Yeah, yeah I, I don't see the point in playing or not playing, I guess, but having them on campus. Like if everything's going to be virtual anyways, then just don't have them on campus. Right. Um, don't even put them at, at that risk, right. right? And they're not. we're not even talking about the economic impact that some oh of these geez. college it's cities and towns are going to have to go through. Uh, we gotta, they all rely heavily on football season in particular uh, this time of year. It's, it's, it's interesting. But that affected both of us. Again, I'm happy to have a fellow Terp on the program and in. Um, our mass and uh, yes. newsroom because we surrounded by Q's guys. Here. Yeah. Um, but obviously we're our baseball podcast, so we're going to talk some baseball. Let's uh, kind of dive into the weekend that was 
uh, in DC. Um, well, let's just ignore the tarp situation fiasco. <clears throat> that was not the best look, obviously. I feel bad for those guys. I, I say ignore it, and then I immediately dive into it. Uh, let's not talk about it. But I really did feel bad about them. I did <laughs> feel bad about. I, I felt like something went wrong. Obviously. So either it was rolled up wrong or they just I mean, you could see it, it like yeah. as soon as it started coming out, it was like, uh oh. Yeah. So we'll we'll just we'll, ignore we'll that. leave but that. We'll pick that up yeah. Friday. For, yeah, Friday, so. five o'clock. Which I, I like. I think you know Brendan and Paul and I were in here on Sunday, and you know of course it's the Battle of the Beltways and Masson. It's a big deal for us, and Our we're Masson sitting here cup. watching, and we're just like, why don't they just call it? Why don't I, I mean? Obviously, there's a rule in place for that, but why don't they just... They're playing again next week. We've already... Like, the Blue Jays were already the home team at Mm -hmm. Nationals Park. What's the harm of the Nationals being the home team for three innings at Camden Yards? I mean, I guess because the rule is if they have that mechanical failure and you can't get the tarp on the field and the field can't get ready to play, I guess, is the rule. Yeah. So, I guess that's what they're trying to do, get the field ready to play, but... As soon as that went on, tarp or, tarp ordeal went on for a couple of minutes, and you're looking at the water pile up in the infield. You kind of had a good idea that it wasn't going to get ready to play, yeah. and they were going to call that game. Yeah. So I thought it, was, yeah. So it was kind of a, a fiasco, but we get extra See? baseball on a Friday afternoon That's early. Right. You know, you get to start your weekend early with one and a half games of baseball, which should be fun um, for the another battle of the beltways. But yeah, in terms of actual baseball, the news of the weekend was we saw Steven Strasburg's season debut. He started off really well. Um, the first couple of innings, he seemed strong. He mentioned after the game that he could still feel the kind of nerve pingement in his, I guess it's his wrist, and then also in, in the tip thumb? of his thumb. I yeah. Think so, yep. Um, he came into his post game press conference with, I, I guess it's a brace that he has, like one of those things that you can probably like buy at like CVS that, you know, when your wrist is a little sore. Nothing too serious. It wasn't fully wrapped. Um, but he got knocked around in that, I guess it was the fifth inning, fifth inning um, yeah. where he gave up five runs. He was pitching really well. And and I remember even recalling that or saying that Davey Martinez had mentioned that they're going to try to keep him between 75 and 80 pitches. And I think he was at only like 40-something mm-hmm. through four going into that fifth inning. So I was like, he could pitch into the seventh if he stays at this pace based on the pitch limit that they have on him already uh but then it got kind of all came crashing down and he just couldn't it seemed like he tired it seemed like he was worn down um, and not ready to pitch fully and he even said that he couldn't tell whether it was fatigue or just not being ready to go you know the distance in his post-game presser but through four innings he looked great yeah. I mean his velocity just a little bit down but he did a good job mixing in his change up his curveball looked good um so through four innings I think he looked re- really great I think the win will be is if he comes out and makes his next scheduled start and pitches well. Mm-hmm. If he can't make that start or, you know, he comes out of the game early, gets um, hit around early, then you start to worry. If those if his issues with his hand kind of go into his next start, then you start to worry. But through a solid first outing, his debut of the season. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Dave Martinez, because his next scheduled start would be Friday. You know, he pitched on a Sunday, five days later would be Friday. Right. Interesting to see how Davey Martinez approaches it. Do you give him a start That's of a the point. regular scheduled game? But the trouble with that is you don't know when that will be. It's 45 minutes after the conclusion of the p- a suspended game. So that could be at its regular scheduled 7 o'clock start. That could be a little earlier. That could be a little later. Mm-hmm. Or do you just have him finish the game that he already started because he'll be fully rested. It's it's going to be – they stopped in the top of the sixth, right? Or bottom of the sixth. No, top of the top sixth. Top of the sixth. So you go six, seven, eight. And that's three and that's like right. three ish plus innings. 
yeah, it's three and a third inning, two thirds innings that yeah, he would have to finish. Do you like? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I don't think that Dave Martinez would do to someone you know like Steven Strasburg, who's right. a veteran, World Series MVP. But it's something to consider, and I don't think it's you know in it'll this keep his weird p- no, it'll keep his pitch count, pitch down. count down. One of the things he said is he you won't waste a bullpen arm that you might need in game two. Exactly, and the one thing he, he was saying he was worried about is like he go, gets out of there, gets hot, comes down. He the problems with his wrist, he said he could have attributed to going out there, pitching, coming back, sitting down. Yeah, going out there, you know, um, that that can be tough. That can be really tough on his hand. So, you know, he only has to go you know three and what two thirds or whatever yeah, it is. Three so. and two thirds. And I think you see, like, if you think of it's a straight normal doubleheader, you sometimes see the uh, veteran starting pitcher taking game one because it's easier to prepare. Uh, when it's a split doubleheader, yeah, you want to win that first right. one. Yeah. Well, that too, but it's all when it's a split doubleheader. You know, game one is starting at one o'clock, game two is starting at seven. True. When game two is thirty minutes, forty-five minutes Back after the that. conclusion of the first game, it kind of leaves up to the air. It could be, you know, lineup, but it's just hard to schedule like or get ready you know it's like all right now you have 45 minutes to get ready or you know he starts warming up in the top of the ninth but then it goes extras or something like that something crazy could happen yeah um but i wouldn't put it past in this crazy season to you know maybe we see strasburg come out and finish the game uh that he so how would that box score work like could he but but you know what probably not because it's since the resumption of a game he probably can't be used since he already started right that's it's not like a it's not like a new know. game. Right. I, whatever I player know. had been, like, they're picking up the game. Whatever player had been used probably can't be put in. Right. But, so, yeah, it I'll might be more likely in. he makes that start in the second game. Yeah. But, or just push back till Saturday. Or push, that's true. Yeah. Yep. Um, but uh, another. Good to see him. It was good to good see Good to him. see him, yeah. Um, another interesting thing, not interesting, it was kind of disappointing, actually, <laughs> uh, was just the bats over the weekend. Um, it was kind of. I could feel the national, like you just did, <laughs> feel the Nationals fans just eye roll and sigh and go, here we go again. Mm-hmm. They could not hit anyone. And, and, of course, this is like no offense to the Baltimore Orioles, but they're a team in a rebuild. Uh, their starting pitcher, like we mentioned in last week's podcast, um, have been their strong suit. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Nationals could get anything off their young and mix of young and veteran pitchers that are kind of journeymen. And they couldn't. And they left that series last in baseball and runs per game that has since changed of course um but they were only a half a run less than cleveland who at the t- who now currently is one of the worst offensive teams in baseball they're only hitting 192 wow. as a team and they only had and only one team had fewer home runs after the weekend and that was the cardinals who of course have only played five games so coming out of the weekend into this week it was kind of nerve-wracking seeing how this offense would face off against the Mets staff uh that they Fared well in game one last week, but in game two, Rick Parcello kind of shut them down. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm pretty sure that I read that the Orioles have scored five or more runs in more games than any other team. So that was kind of, that was crazy. I mean, they got... They just hit. They just (laughs) hit. They can hit. I mean, the the lineup isn't as bad as people think. So, um, yeah, so it was good to come out and see the Nationals on Monday score 16 runs. I mean, I think that was a breath of fresh air um, for Nats fans after after that weekend. and I guess let's talk about – it was kind of the tale of two nights offensively in that Met series. Um, but I guess let's start Let's start with Monday. Those 16 runs um, and Astrubal Cabrera. I mean, came was 0-4-4 last night, but came out, was 4-4-4, four four, five RBIs, two home runs um, 
on Monday night. Yeah, he is absolutely crushing the ball from the right side of the plate. I think he statistically is better, slightly better on the right side to switch hitter uh, than left side. But for the most part in his career, he has been better slanted, on the right slanted side. toward yeah. the right. Yeah, but this season to start off, he is just demolishing. He's in absurd numbers from the right side of the plate. Um, and, and you're right, that night was just, I, I think, it was like, when we look back on that night, and I feel bad, this is not Asdrubal Cabrera's fault, but it, the fact that it was Juan Soto that hit a 463-foot home run over the apple at City Field, I think that whenever we look back on that 16-run game, we're going to think, oh, yeah, that's the Juan Soto apple home run. Right. <laughs> but we should be talking about Asdrubal Cabrera and what he's doing in a positive way, because he's producing. And obviously, the 0 for 4 night, that's going to happen, you know. But you'll take a 4 for 4 night for every 0 for 4 night Absolutely. every single time. Mm -hmm. But what he's doing is he's creating a problem in a good way for David Martinez. Because you would think that in a season like this, you would want to give Carter Keeboom as many reps as possible. And we talked about this before the season started even. is like, how do you balance getting Car Carter Keeboom his reps and his at-bats uh, mm -hmm. in a day-to-day -day basis, but also remaining competitive. If he starts to struggle, you can't have him dragging your team down when you're the defending champs and trying to repeat and trying to make it back, especially in expanded playoffs. There's no reason the Nationals shouldn't make the playoffs this year when eight teams per league make, make it to the postseason. Um, and, and Carter Keeboom, like we mentioned last week, he's had his bright spots. And I, I would say I'm pleasantly surprised with what I've seen in limited action from Carter Keeboom. But Asdrubal Cabrera, the way he's hitting right now, and the the him being a switch hitter, him being able to play multiple positions, third and first base, he's just too valuable right now for David Martinez to take out of the lineup. No, I agree. I mean, with Astrubal, uh, you know, disregarding last night, he's been co consistent. And the thing is, with young guys like Carter Keyboom, you don't get that same consistency. I mean, he was out of the lineup yesterday, but Monday he went struck out three times and had that bad throw to first. Astrubal had a nice pick on it, but you know, he's just not consistent. And it's hard to put him in there hoping to get him reps when you have Cabrera just hitting the heck out of the ball um, and can play on both corners. Um, it, it's kind of hard to justify that. So he is creating a problem for Davey Martinez, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's just destroying the ball. Yeah. Against, on the right side against lefties, I mean, he's just killing him. Yep, and, I th and he creates – really good matchups for Dave Martinez in terms of lineup against lefties like you mentioned uh, you can bench Eric Thames and have him playing first and right. put Carter Keeboom as a right-handed hitter and then against righties you answer Eric Thames you put Cabrera at, at third and you're able to DH Howie Kendrick and get him off his feet a little bit so it's looking like Carter Keeboom's chances are going to get smaller and smaller and that's no fault of his own again mm -hmm. like we said it's it's a, a struble that is just tearing the cover off the ball mm -hmm. right now and you know he's playing so i mean he's not as quick i don't think uh, he's definitely a little older and lost a step but <laughs> he made a nice play uh deep in, down the line uh, at third base last night against the mets um play at first base that you know he can still flash leather he's not a liability out there like we've seen maybe like howie kendrick playing second base mm -hmm. um you know <laughs> where he's just not quick enough to to cover as much ground as he once used to um moving on uh Amy, another interesting aspect of this first road trip, and I'm going to talk to Jesse Doherty about this too a little bit, but the first time they've implemented a taxi squad. Right. Um, they've left D.C. This is the first time we've seen them leave the area and become the true road team. Mm -hmm. uh, they brought five players with them. Will Harris, who is 
We're expecting to be recovered and off the IL relatively soon. Mm -hmm. uh, Andrew Stevenson, obviously, he provides depth um, in the outfield just in case. Um, Rowdy Reed, you need probably catcher's depth. That's smart. But then the two surprising names is Seth Romero and Luis Garcia. These are two young guys that probably would not have made their major debuts in a regular 2020 season, but the way that this season has worked out, in Seth Romero's case, which I find is the most interesting, he's a left-hander. Sean Doolittle struggling. The only other lefty you have in this bullpen is Sam Freeman. Mm -hmm. uh, he, you know, we know Davey, uh, excuse me, Mike Rizzo has loved Seth Romero's stuff from college. It's his off-field issues that's kept him from advancing in the game. And then, of course, he suffered, uh, he had to go under, undergo Tommy John surgery. And then Luis Garcia is one of the highest-touted prospects in the national system. I think he's number two right now. Um, that Nationals fans are looking for, then he plays multiple infield positions. I, I'm curious to see, you know, were these just, and, and see Jesse's thoughts as well, but were these just um, safety nets, mm -hmm. you know, just in case, or were they br brought along just for given that maybe the slight chance that they're going to get into a game uh, coming up soon? Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, you expand that taxi squad from three to five, you're probably going to have one or two surpri surprising guys on that list, right? To me, Luis Garcia isn't as surprising as Seth Romero. I mean, Seth Romero was out all last season recovering from Tommy John and is never pitched above low A. So uh, with that being said, I mean, obviously half of it is that they don't have lefties in the bullpen right now. Sam Freeman's really the only reliable guy. Elias is on the 60-day injured list, um, you know, do little struggling. So I think that's half of it. He's a lefty that can come out of the bullpen. But the other half of it is this, they have to be pretty high on him um, to bring him up, especially never, never have pi having pitched above low A. So. Yeah. He, he surprised me more than Luis Garcia did, um, but it'll be interesting to see if, you know, these guys get their shot. Yeah, and, and also with Garcia, like, yes, he plays multiple infield positions, but then you look around the infield, you have, like you just mentioned, Cabrera, who can play multiple positions. You have Carter Keboom, who theoretically could play multiple positions, too. I know they want him playing third more often than not. Mm -hmm. um, you've got Trey, Trey, Trey Turner, who is your staple at shortstop. He's now the oldest veteran on this team, most been here at the team the longest and at second base you know Starling Castro has played really good second base defensive uh, defense and Howie Kendrick could play it in a pinch if needed um I, I don't know if there's ever going to be a spot for them I, I think it's it's twofold it's one or I guess double-edged sword maybe is a better analogy mm -hmm. but because it's like one if you get if they get into the major league that's great it's something interesting to see but two, that means probably something went bad for someone else. You right. know, that means injury. Someone else is struggling out of the bullpen. Um, they need another arm. Someone went down in the infield. They need a backup insurance as an infielder. We mentioned Andrew Stevenson providing backup insurance for the outfield. Who takes the over an infield spot in case someone right. goes down? So it's kind of a give and take. Right. It's like in a it'd perfect it'd world, you don't want to see any of them. Right. But it would be interesting. But it would be interesting. It would be a good storyline. Interesting. Uh, speaking of Turner, who we just mentioned, he is starting to hit the ball really well. He hit a leadoff home run last night going opposite field. The first time we've seen him do that in a long time. He never really goes opposite field. I think that was only his second career opposite field home run. Yeah, I think it was his first to straight away right. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that the first one even went more right center. Mm -hmm. um, and he, of course, knocked the head off. One of the cutouts, fan cutout at City Field. Um, but Amy, since you know, he broke his 0 for 18 streak over the weekend against the Orioles on Saturday, 
he's really coming alive uh, at in that leadoff spot for the Nationals, which we've always said as a table setter, if he has that sneaky pop too, that, mm-hmm. that, that's a bonus. But he can carry this offense, and hopefully Adam Eaton can maybe get his back going. He had the day off the other day. Uh, to rest a little bit. Maybe he can get going. But Trey Turner, since breaking his 0-for-18 streak, he's now 7-for-17, which is a 4 average with a two homers and four RBIs. If you're getting that kind of production out of your leadoff spot, that can really spark this offense, especially with Juan Soto looming at, in the four mm-hmm. spot and Howie Kendrick right after him. Exactly. That's what you want to see. Coming into this series, he was hitting 196. He's now raised his average to 255. So that's what you want to see from Trey Turner. It's exciting to see his back going. And then in the ninth, he had that great sliding catch, so he's playing great on both sides of the ball. Um, and that's what you want out of your leadoff guy. Especially last night, we saw the two, three, and four-hole hitters go over. Um, and Eaton and Castro both struck out twice. So we need to get their bats going. But it starts with him, with Trey Turner. He sets the table. So maybe if he can get some things going, you know, the meat of the lineup can produce also. And, you know, in some, in, you know, you look back on Monday, they did. I mean, everybody produced. Yeah. Um, you know, Tuesday, the bats fell asleep. You kind of can expect that. Um, once your team starts scoring, you know, 12, 13, 14 runs, you're like, let's save some of this for tomorrow. Um, you worry that they're going to come out flat. And they did. I mean, after the, fir- the first and second inning were great. You didn't think they were going to come out flat. And then, you know, the bats kind of fell asleep, which happens after you have a big, um, you know, high-scoring game like they did Monday. Um, but it's great to see Turner getting his back going, especially in that leadoff spot. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about Tuesday's win. Uh, Alex Chaplin and I were talking on our Mass and All Access extra postgame show, being like this was the first time, Tuesday being, that the Nationals really had to grind out a win. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they didn't have to rely on outscoring or, you know, an influx of runs, scoring 16 runs exactly. to win. They, this was the first time that they had a solid starting pitching out. And give credit to Rick Parcello. I mean, he had another strong outing yeah. against this, this Nationals lineup in, in um, back-to-back starts. Uh, but the Nationals, they had strong outing for Max Scherzer, got the six innings, and, and it didn't look like he would get that far early on. He was 60 pitches through two innings. Um, so you would think, oh, no, they're going to have to piece together a bullpen game. Um, but he gets through six. The offense gets enough off score mm-hmm. runs on the board, um, and then you get strong outings from another Tenerini, Javi Guerra, and, and good defense behind them. Uh, we mentioned like the one play that you you won't see in the box score that people we should be talking about more today uh, after that game is uh, the stop by Kurt Suzuki on Tenerini's mm-hmm. ball in the dirt in the in the top, in the bottom of the seventh inning, and then uh, I think it was like the next pitch or maybe the second two pitches after that, uh, getting a double play ball to get out of the inning. I think that was a really gutsy performance by the entire team, not just Max Scherzer, the entire team to pull out a win. That was the first win they've had all season long where they've scored two runs or less, and that's the first time that they've really had to gutted one out against a tough opponent. Exactly. I mean, and the bullpen had a rough outing um, against Baltimore, and then they come out, and the Nationals pretty much left them no margin of error, and, you know, they they came up huge. And Scherzer had a gutsy performance. You know, he came out through almost 30 pitches in the first, and it's like, oh, goodness. Like, um, struggled again in the second inning and got up to 60 pitches through two, and then after that just zeroed in and threw a great, um, you know, next four innings, got through six, um, put out the side in the sixth. Um, so a great performance by him and a gutsy outing um, by the bullpen, and they were able to pull it out. Um, you'd like to see them put up more runs and not leave you know, yeah. your bullpen in that position, but, you know, they pulled it out. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I don't think we can talk about the bullpen without mentioning Tanner Ranger. We're going to get to, before we get out of here, previewing the next two games in this four-game setup in uh, Queens. But Tanner Rainey, I mean, he has to be the Nationals MVP so far this season. I mean, I know that we just talked about Cabrera and, of course, Juan Soto is doing really well at the plate. But Tanner, I don't think the Nationals are where they are right now at 6-7 and seven without Tanner Rainey. Uh, he's first in average against at 0-38 uh, and on base percentage in the National League, all of the National League, and on base percentage against at 107. He's second with 39.2 strikeouts percentage. Um, and in tie for fourth with a 1.08 ERA. He has been fantastic throughout the season. I feel like we're going to be talking about him every single podcast throughout the course of the season if he continues this up. You know, there's no all-star break, but, you know, I don't think – I think Tanner Rainey would be – if the Nationals only get one, I don't think you can leave Tanner Rainey out of that conversation. No. And uh, he's been so great this year and carrying that bullpen, especially – Daniel Hudson seems like he got back together. Mm-hmm. He, he pitched uh, – closed out the game – uh, last night, um, Sean Doolittle, he got through an inning. He still gave up the home run mm-hmm. in a sixteen to three game, uh, a blowout. But he get, but he got through it. It's kind of like I've maybe I want to equate to like basketball. It's like you just need to see the ball go through the hoop. Yeah. When a shooter's in a slump, you just need to see the ball go through the hoop, whether it be a layup or a free throw. That kind of just gets your confidence. I know he gave up the home run, but just getting three outs must have felt good for Sean Doolittle and, and do something for his confidence. But right now it's Tanner Rainey's bullpen, and, and David Martinez is going to have to lean on him as much as he can. Yeah, and the good thing about that is is as Doolittle's trying to get his feet back under him, Davey knows he has a guy to go to. You know, it's it's nice to have a guy in that bullpen that you feel feel confident putting out there. And now the the Nationals have um, stranded 21 of 22 inherited runners. So their bullpen's doing well. And I'm so glad to have that conversation this season compared to last. I'm gr- I'm so happy to see Tanner Rainey. Yeah, that's that's an absurd yeah. number. 21 out of 22, 22 stranded. That is fantastic, especially from this Nationals bullpen. All right, the next two games, Amy. Anibal Sanchez tonight against the Mets. Tomorrow in the afternoon finale will be Austin Voth. What are you expecting from these two guys uh, in, in New York? I'd love to see Anibal get back out there and have a solid outing. You know, he got hit around against the Orioles. Um, you want to see him get get back out there and have a solid outing. Um, and both both didn't really – he didn't throw a bad game. You know, that's the game they were, you know, up – I think the Nationals were up 3 nothing going into the eighth inning, and the Orioles scored five runs. So he, he really had a, a pretty solid outing. Um, but you want to see them, you know, both have two solid outings. So you know that after number one and number two, this rotation doesn't fall off as much as you might think. Yeah. Um, they've both gone just about five innings. Any ball in his last outing went five and a third, but five innings per outing. Um, Any ball – the strikeouts, surprisingly, are actually there. He had seven in his first outing against Toronto and, and four in his last time. Uh, I thought it was interesting on, on one of his last start. I think it was F.P. Santangelo saying, you know, you know Anibal is doing really well when he's walking people. He pitches around guys he doesn't want to face because he knows they're going to hit him. He's that kind of evolved. He doesn't mind giving up a walk because he loves inducing weak contact, and that's where he gets a lot of double play balls. That's where he'll get a lot of pop flies or pop-ups. Um, so he's not afraid to put a guy on base who he thinks can do severe damage to get to someone who he doesn't think uh, can really hit him very well. And as for Austin Voth, I mean, this is kind of – this is a guy who's – we talked about was battling for Eric Fetty for the fifth starter spot, took control of that spot, and we said before the season – hey, you know, if you just give them a chance, that's all we can ask for because you would think with Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, Sanchez going your first four days, that fifth starter spot 
if you just give the offense a chance, maybe that's the one day the offense can get a W for you. Just like we mentioned, pitch the five innings. He's gone five each of his first two outings, but his ERA is at 1.80. Wow. So, you know, I got a push notification the other day from my fantasy baseball league being like, here are pitchers are falling left and right. Here are three guys you want to pick up immediately. And Austin Volpe was one of them. I mean, he's like, this is a guy who's consistently going out and, and putting up small numbers um, in, in a limited action. It's only five innings, but his ERA is at 180. That's someone you might want to push. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He is giving the Nationals a chance. Like you mentioned, he had they had the lead. He was in line for the W when he faced the Orioles last week, and the bullpen kind of blew it. Um, but he has been pitching very well. I think it's just a matter of re- repeating that. Mm-hmm. You know, don't do anything spectacular. Don't do anything out of your comfort zone. Don't try to do too much. Do what you need to do. Do what you're here to do, and then let the offense try to carry you, and hopefully the bullpen doesn't blow it later in the game. Exactly, and that's all you can ask out of these guys. You yeah. know, you, all you can ask is for them to go out there, keep their team in it for five innings, and hope that your offense can put up some runs for you, give you some run support. Yep. So tonight at Wednesday – that's going to be another 7-10 start, uh, 6.30 on Mass and Bo, Bo and Dan will have pregame coverage for you. And then it's an early game tomorrow on Thursday, a 1 o'clock game, uh, pregame coverage at 12.30 on Mass and uh, Alex and I will have uh, even more postgame coverage after each game as well before the, uh, or, uh, the Nationals head to Baltimore to face the Orioles. Give sure, uh, be sure to give the Mass and All Access podcast a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Play, and, of course, Mass and Nationals across our social media platforms as well. Uh, Amy Jennings You're at Amy Jennings News on Twitter I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco That's going to do it for this week's episode Stay tuned I am chatting with Jesse Doherty Right after the break Now joining me on the Mastin All Access podcast Is Jesse Doherty Who covers the Washington Nationals For the Washington Post And of course author of Buzzsaw The story of the 2019 World Series Championship run Jesse, glad we caught up uh, Good to see you uh, thanks, for ha- thanks for joining me yeah, thanks so much, man. This is this is great. So you're actually in New York right now as the Nationals are taking on the Mets at City Field. Um, how has that been? What was traveling been like? I haven't really left the D.C. area since March, since the shutdown. Um, what's that whole experience been like for you covering a team on the road? Yeah, the uh, the natural lighting in the Courtyard Marriott <laughs> is not uh, is not great. So sorry, I'm I'm kind of dark right now. Uh, it's it's been weird, man. I I, I did a bit of travel for the news section at the Washington Post back in the spring. That was certainly weirder, uh, all, all by car so far. Uh, this trip, I, I drove up to New York from DC, uh, didn't really hit many rest stops. I, I think masks, uh, at least in this part of the country, uh, seemed pretty common uh, when I was traveling earlier in the, in the year. It was to the Midwest where where there wasn't so much masks. So that was a little uneasy. So uh, everyone seems to be taking it pretty seriously. Uh, the streets here in New York are, are pretty quiet. I'm staying in Manhattan and driving over to Queens for the games at City Field. So obviously a bit eerie. Um, I, I've been here obviously in past times when it's much more bustling and exciting and, and fun to be in the city. And you don't get that same kind of vibe now. And I, I kind of can feel how the players also feel like this trip is a bit odd and uh, certainly a sign of the times. But uh, overall, I, I mean, I feel pretty safe. And it's, uh, it's been a new experience. Like we're, we're all getting a bunch of those in 2020. Yeah, exactly. And I'm assuming your day-to-day has been – kind of similar to the team you go from hotel to ballpark to hotel to ballpark and you're just kind of in your car in between what's that been like I mean do you feel like because some of the players even jokingly I'm, I'm sure but like have been calling it like a prison is it kind of like that for you where you're just getting service to your room to eat and then you go to the ballpark um, and, and watch the game yeah I mean the the city field accommodations are actually pretty good they have they have box dinner for us so I'm not 
I'm not really going out a ton like to get takeout or, or bring food into the park even. So you're right. I mean, this morning I, I walked to get a coffee, socially distanced with my mask on and, um, and sort of a quick bite. And then I'll, I'll eat at the park um, in the press box uh, sitting in my little corner in City Field. So it, it is it has been a lot of time in the hotel room. I, I like a lot of guys, love to explore when I'm on the road. I like to see different sites or just walk around, especially if it's a new city. Uh, new York, I'm fairly familiar with, but you know, you, you never really get tired of walking around here. There's always something new to find. So uh, it's it's definitely been weird and kind of odd. I'm getting a lot of work done, been productive since I've been in the room. I'm reading a lot, uh, you know, enjoying the enjoying the view from the, from the hotel, which I, I can see the water and then a little bit the neighborhood I'm staying in. But other than that, it's uh, it's been it's been totally different from any other road trip I've experienced. Is this going to be common practice for you throughout the season? Do you think you'll be following the team wherever they go um, when they leave D.C.? So as of now, I'll, I'll do driving trips. So uh, right now that's New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, uh, Boston, maybe is going to be tough because of some local restrictions they have on, on travel. And then uh, right now I won't be, won't be flying to see the Nats play, but, but that could change in August, late August or September, depending on what the pandemic looks like in certain areas and, and, and also what the season and, and the stakes look like for those games. So uh, it could shift, but as of now, like next week, the Nationals will be in Atlanta, and I'll be I'll be working from home. Uh, but uh, but that could change later on in the year. Yeah, I think it's super interesting to talk to you, uh, someone who's been traveling now, because you've been pretty outspoken on, on social media about this whole season, and I, and I've agreed with you. Uh, pretty much all the way of questioning whether or not we should actually be playing this season. Is it worth it all during this pandemic? Um, now that we're a quarter of the way through the season, which is crazy enough in and of itself, but how do you feel any better about the season, how baseball has kind of approached 2020 season and how they've handled outbreaks in Miami and St. Louis um, and other si- situations across the league? Do you feel any better about uh, the 2020 season chances of, of finishing? You know, it's, it's interesting. So I, I probably morally don't feel any better than I did on July 1st, right around when summer training began. I, I probably do feel, I guess, better or more confident in the sport's ability to finish this year because I, we've shown that the threshold for canceling is so high. So you know, as of right now, the St. Louis Cardinals have played five games and still have a lot of players who have been battled, battled the coronavirus recently and, and also revealed that some of those you know, fights were, were really serious and, and included hospital visits and a lot of really serious symptoms. The Miami Marlins went through the same thing and are still sort of feeling the effects of that in terms of having a lot of players unavailable. But the fact that two serious outbreaks within teams did not trigger the ending of the season, um, as evidenced by the fact that the league feels that because the virus didn't transmit from team to team during a game, as we saw with the Philadelphia Phillies largely testing negative after playing the Marlins uh post news that they had contracted the virus, um, the league seems to feel like it can do this, that, that the sort of threshold for pain or for, uh, you know, for the, for health reasons, so to speak, is, is higher than two major outbreaks and they can stage a, a functioning season. Uh, they can, they can make it. So winning percentage determines playoff spots. If a team doesn't get to 60 games, because it seems nearly impossible, that the St. Louis Cardinals, a contender will, will get to the full schedule by the end of this. Uh, so I, I do feel like the year could very well finish for the sole fact that that baseball seems hell bent on doing so. Do I feel any better about that process or that our priorities are in line or that the health of, of people, players, coaches, staff, the general public that comes into contact with these teams as they regionally travel from city to city. Do I feel any better that, that the priorities are straight there? No, I, frankly, I don't. And I, I do think that 
you know, even in the in the midst of covering baseball for me, which has sort of been a sort of moral question in itself, I've maybe gotten away from some of my outspoken opinions, so to speak, on social media or even writing about the um, the dangers and the risks of this season. But it hasn't gone away. And it's certainly um, something I hope to reflect in, in, in my coverage and just the way I talk about the sport moving forward, um, knowing that there is baseball being played. There are playoff races, there's a trade deadline coming up. But also there's this pandemic that continues to loom over the country and, and rage through the country in a lot of areas. And we certainly should be taking that into context with any baseball discussion. So uh, so I guess in summary, uh, and I appreciate you asking the question, I, I do feel sort of like that, that the percentage chance of the league of the season finishing has gone up considerably in my head. Um, the ways I feel about it really haven't changed that much. Yeah, I think I would tend to agree. I think there are some moral questions to be asked of whether or not this is actually worth it. But on the side of baseball, it seems like they've got pretty things under control. And you're seeing individual teams also take action, sending players home who are violating protocols, stuff like that. And we've all said all along that this is going to fall on the players and coaches themselves. You know, if they stick to the protocol, it gives this season the best chance to finish um, and complete a, a, a postseason. So we'll see how that plays out. And then I know it's early on, and this is the Nats' true road trip, but this might be a tough question for you, but do you – in your limited interaction and maybe even see them busing back and forth between the hotel and the stadium, do you feel like the Nationals, for the most part, are sticking to their protocols and staying safe? You know, from what, from what I've heard, yeah. I, I don't have, like, visual firsthand evidence of that, but I, I, it sounds like they've been very disciplined. And I think we've seen cases around the league where, like, you know, uh, with the Indians, we saw that, obviously, a very public situation. And then with the Marlins, uh, there was, you know, they – players had apparently gone out and then the virus sort of ended up spreading through the team. Um, I, I don't necessarily know if, you know, zero test results, zero ne- uh, positive test results necessarily means everyone's behaving. You know, it's like you could go to a bar um, as a normal person. Let's say you're not a baseball player. Or you could go to get takeout. You could drive in an Uber and, and, and luckily not contract the virus. Um, baseball players obviously are being tested so frequently that it's harder to sort of hide. It's harder to maybe, uh, make poor decisions or, or make reckless decisions and then and then sort of not be found out for that. But that said, like I'm not positive if a team with zero results, uh, zero you know positive results is necessarily you know being strict with the guidelines and the and the rules here. Um, I think there also is a luck element to this as well. You could be super reckless and and you could not get the virus. You could be totally safe and you could contract the virus. I mean, with an airborne disease like the coronavirus, it's really hard to predict how it's going to sort of affect teams. But from all I know, the Nationals have been. Um, have been staying safe and have been staying cautious. And that in some way is reflected in the results they've had. They have not had anyone test positive since Juan Soto did on July 23rd. And obviously for the sake of everyone being healthy, that's great news. Yeah, I agree. Something that we can control uh, or something that we do see is what they've been putting on, on the field. Again, it's crazy to see that we're a quarter of the way through the season already in this short season. So far, uh, Jesse, what have you seen from the team? What's maybe the biggest surprise? I think we have a, a fair enough sample size uh, playing, I think it's 13 games for the Nationals or so. Yeah, because they got three canceled or postponed by the Marlins. Fair enough sample size that we, we can maybe fairly judge some trends that we're seeing. What's maybe the biggest surprise, good or bad, that you've seen from the team so far? Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. This season's so weird because on one hand, like you don't want to jump on anybody who's starting poorly because – the, the ramp up was so quickly and it was so quick and the, the shutdown of four months was really crippling for a lot of guys and their routines were so thrown out of whack. And then on the flip side of that, you think players who are excelling um, are also maybe benefiting from other guys having re- their routines thrown out of whack. So the sort of the judging the baseball right now is so weird because, you know, if Tanner Rainey strikes out three pitchers, three players on 10 pitches, like 
how much should we say Tanner Rainey is this great bullpen arm, but uh, but then also, you know, not to the fact that those hitters are getting their timing back. In the same way, we, we might make an excuse for Adam Eaton, who's been really rough at the plate so far, but is getting his timing back. So um, that's a convoluted way of saying, I don't know. Um, a lot of the conclusions are really uh, inconclusive right now for that sole fact that everyone's sort of, uh, the whole thing's warped by the fact that everyone's sort of figuring out this weird, this weird thing. What we do know with the Nationals right now is that Sean Doyle's having a, a really hard time in the bullpen. Um, his velocity is really low. And in the absence of having any physical ailments, which in this case is great for him, but also is concerning in the fact that the results are are poor without anything to point to as the reason. Um, he's struggling greatly. Tanner Rainey has been awesome as a setup man. Like I said, it's hard to sort of parse out why that is, but uh, he's been extremely impressive and in the strike zone with all his stuff. And everyone's always said that, you know, if, he's, if he throws strikes with his slider fastball combination, uh, he's going to be effective. And we're seeing that firsthand. And then at the plate, I guess the surprises for me, Estrubo um, Cabrera picking up where he left off last regular season as an extremely productive member of the lineup. Uh, his, his numbers against you know, lefties right now are, are out of this world. He's typically better uh, splits-wise from, from the right side as a switch hitter, but he's just been in a small sample size this year, has been really, really effective there. Uh, and then uh, Sterling Castro has been, been pretty effective in the three-hole, um, not slugging-wise, uh, but, but that's certainly getting on base a lot and, uh, and, and sort of you know, hitting the ball around. And then, uh, and then Juan Soto, not, not a surprise at all. I shouldn't frame it that way, but after coming back from a long layoff to start the year, it's just been super productive. And, and we're sort of conditioned to expect that from him, but I still should say it's extremely impressive. Yeah, and you mentioned Tanner, you wanted to kind of expand on him for a little bit because he has been so fantastic, and I saw you tweeting about him throughout his, his uh, appearance last night against the Mets in a 2-1 victory. Is it as simple as him just hitting the strike zone? Is that's why he's been doing so well? He's got a 1.0 ERA through his first eight appearances this season, easily the best arm. It seems like after every game, win or lose, we're talking about uh, a great how great of a job Tanner Rainey did coming out of the bullpen. Uh, is it as simple as him just hitting his pitches, or is he kind of locked in and, and found something else? Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of is that simple because I think if he's hitting spots with his stuff, we're seeing how it plays because, one, his velocity actually isn't as good as it usually is. He's, he's 95 to 97 right now. He actually can dial up to 99 to 100, 9900 in, in the normal year with a normal buildup. And then his slider is is always effective in the, in if he's sort of able to locate it. We saw that last year. Like, we saw flashes of this. It's just a matter of consistently smoothing it out because when he gets late, when he gets behind in counts, when he's really spraying his fastball, when he can't locate his slider even to get ahead and backdoor guys that way um he's in a situation where people can sit fastball and know it's coming and then sort of velocity meets bat speed and, and that's trouble so I, I do think that you know his ability to get ahead i mean dave martinez always says you know throw strike one and it sounds so cliche but for tanner rainey when he's ahead and counts i mean his ability to spin that slider the below the zone and and sort of even sort of use his fastball maybe high over, over the over the zone or or uh, sort of as a, as a nitpick pitch around the zone i i think he's super effective in that way so him just sort of having really good command of his pitches so far this year, we're seeing the effects of that. And uh, and I think it is really that simple with him. He's a two-pitch guy. He's worked on developing a changeup, but right now he's just fastball slider. So there aren't a lot of secrets with him. I think if he's just in the zone, he's, he's really he's really tough to hit. Yep, I agree. He's been fantastic for the Nationals' bullpen, a great a great weapon for David Martinez to use in late situations. Uh, one more for you, Jess, before I let you go, because it's been the first time that the Nationals – uh, I've been on the road and they've had to implement and use a uh, bring with them a taxi squad. What kind of sticks out to you with the guys that they brought along? I know the names for me that jump out are Seth Romero and Luis Garcia. Um, are they just there just in case? Should we make anything of them being there? What, what do you see when you look at this taxi squad that the Nationals brought with them on the road? 
Yeah. So as the five of the five names, I think you're right. And that Will Harris, obviously rehabbing his, his groin injury is, is really obvious selection. And then Andrew Stevenson, extra outfielder and Rowdy Reed, emergency catcher, sort of are easy to figure out. Uh, from there, Luis Garcia, for me, um, it would seem maybe a bit weird at only 20 years old, but he's also a guy who can play three infield positions. And I think that versatility on the taxi squad is, is really important, considering that, you know, if anybody in the infield gets injured, he's able to step in. The Nationals do not need any options at first base. They have, you know, 100 of those, it seems. So I think having that sort of utility infielder, um, you know, for any sort of injury is, is important. And then Seth Romero is the most interesting name to me, for sure. Um, shameless plug, I'll have a story up today on, on maybe why he's around. But uh, the, the sort of the nuts and bolts of it is that, you know, they are there are really short lefties in the bullpen right now. Juan Elias is out for the year. Uh, Fernando Bob was released before the season. Um, Sean Doolittle is really unable to be used in high leverage spots right now until he figures out whatever's going on with him. So uh, I don't know if Romero will end up on the roster, but I do think, you know, before the trade deadline comes up, if the Nationals can't make any other additions with the sort of the tight roster um, restrictions of the, of the sort of 60 player pool being tougher than usual than normal years, um, Romero's an option. And there's, there's four guys down in the mine, down in the club site that are sort of, you know, around Ben lefties, Ben Bramer, Nick Wells, Seth Romero, and Matt Cronin, who was a reliever drafted in 2018. And the fact that they brought Romero and wanted to get eyes on him and wanted to have pitching coach Paul Menhart watch a bullpen session yesterday. Um, I think that's significant. It doesn't necessarily mean he'll be added to the roster, but um, thinking of him as a possible bullpen piece as maybe an emergency option should do it'll not write this in the next couple of weeks. He could be a band-aid fix before help arrives at the deadline should the Nationals go that way. So Romero certainly is the most attractive story, um, you know, name for me on that list and, and was sort of the one where you said, huh, that, that's it's interesting. And other than that, the taxi squad seemed uh, pretty pretty normal for me. Yeah, absolutely. We know Seth Romero. Mike Rizzo and his staff were in awe of his stuff coming out of college, but he had some off-field issues. They took a risk so far. Hasn't been uh, pretty much. He's been pretty much a bust. We can just put it at that, but we'll see if he's able to get a chance in the major league level sometime soon. Uh, at Doherty underscore Jesse on Twitter. Make sure to give him a follow and check out his work in the Washington Post. And like he said, his article coming out on Seth Romero later today. And also go find Buzzsaw. If you haven't already, go buy the book, the 2019 Recap of the World Series run, support local businesses. Go find that book at your local bookstore in D.C. Uh, and give that a read. Jesse, good to talk to you. Glad you're staying safe. Uh, enjoy the rest of your trip, and uh, we'll uh, see you later. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it.